What a wonderful recounting of the events following the resurrection with Christ's disciples. Kids are leaving now for the nursery and uh, let's pray and ask the Lord just to direct our hearts as we look into his word. Father, you're a good God. We thank you that we can celebrate with you even in a world where there are so many challenges, so many difficulties, so much sin. We've been given this opportunity to celebrate you because of the transformation of our lives and what you are doing in this world. We pray that you'd help us to look to you and to look into your word now with eyes of faith, hearts that have been transformed, able, enabled to see the truth, and hearts and minds that have been enabled to obey the truth as well. So speak to our hearts, speak to our, our minds, and, and continue this process of transforming our lives. We pray this in your Son's name, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we had the challenge of, of Good Friday just a couple of days ago, uh, focusing on the first part of the gospel story. And it's always a challenge because uh, it's, it's hard to see it as good news when you're just focusing on that first part, that somber day where we consider what Christ did in his death but there's also the difficulty of the profoundness of this event what it means to us the impact that it has on our lives and because it's a a spiritual thing uh, it's a spiritual transformation it's not something concrete that's standing there in front of us it's hard often to to understand the depth of what, what what went on but we looked at one of the simplest stories, a simple story that Jesus told so that we might understand the good shepherd. The good shepherd, he said, remember five times, the good shepherd will lay down his life for his sheep. And it's a simple story that has to do with taking care of animals. And that is how he, what he used to communicate to us that the the good shepherd, the greatest of all good shepherds, laid down his life for his sheep. He humbled himself, he submitted, he bowed his knee to the weapons of the wicked. He allowed people to kill him. He bowed to the weight of the world's sin. He took it on himself. But above all that, he submitted to the will of the Father in order that they together might show how great their love is for the world, how great their love is for us. And so their love was communicated to us personally. Jesus Christ came into the world. He communicates it through parables. And the parable of the Good Shepherd was the example on Friday. And he also communicates to us through pictures, through pictures that we have been been left with and we need pictures we need all the help we can get to understand these things because we're distracted we're human beings any shiny object and we're we're looking at it we're distracted and so he gave us pictures like baptism he gave us pictures like the lord's table the two ordinances 
the two ordinances that we have been left with as the church of Jesus Christ. We know that with communion, it's more of a focus on Christ's death, isn't it? The two elements that are involved, uh, first of all, you know, the, the bread, his broken body, the cup, his blood. And the blood, as it says in the scriptures, represents the life. The life of a person. And so Christ's life given for us, it, it focuses on his death communion. But then when it comes to baptism, there seems to be more of a focus on the life that's given to us, the resurrection. Don was a little concerned about this. He said, you're going to remember to pull me up at the end. Like for me, the priority is just getting the person under. That's what's important. But no, the focus in baptism is the resurrection to new life. That is the symbol. That's the picture as we are in Christ, as we are somehow connected with what he did 2,000 years ago. And so, beyond the picture, beyond the parable, we understand, and we've already mentioned this today too, there's this idea of faith. Faith. We need to believe. We need to have a heart that is changed, that's enabled by God to believe that what Christ did on the cross applies to us. What Christ did on the cross has changed us. And what Christ did on the cross will continue to change us. And as we read through this story, not a parable, not a, 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 a legend, this story of the events of what took place after Christ's resurrection. We see that it's full of confusion, misunderstanding, and doubt. Yet that's exactly what Christ wanted to overcome by coming into this world. He wanted to to give us a solid, (laughs) give us something that we could hold on to and say, yes, God does love us. Because how do we understand that an immense, eternal God loves us. We created this world with the greatest thing being our lives. And the worst thing being death. And so to communicate his love for us, God came into the world and he lived this life, which as we all know, because of the fallen state, turns into a big struggle. He suffered normally as we did. And he suffered exceptionally beyond what any of us have suffered here. And he gave his life in order that people could understand his love. But we didn't understand and they didn't understand uh, how death would bring salvation. We see his, his disciples who walked with him and talked with him for years as he shared with them truth, the kingdom of God, how to be a part, and God's love for them. They didn't understand that his death could be anything good. When he was gone, they were shocked, blown away. There was disillusionment that came in. And it says, again, a phrase, 
a phrase that we saw on Friday in the passage we were studying, they went home. They went home. Even after, it says it in verse 10, after they'd found the empty tomb. Even after Peter and John went there and saw that the grave clothes were empty, they were still scratching in their head. It still didn't make sense to them. It says they went home. Then we go to the next chapter. In verse 1 of chapter 21, it says a bunch of them went back to Galilee. In verse 3, it says they went fishing. They went fishing. They went right back to life as usual. Jesus had called them from fishing, but the fishermen, and it seems like some others, they went right back to where they were at before. And that's the great danger. That is the great danger in any transaction with God. Any connection that we have with God through Jesus Christ. Whether it be him speaking to us in a service like this. Him speaking to us through his word. Maybe in some event in your own life. Some time of devotion when you're, you're meditating, you're praying. And, and it seems that God comes close and he communicates a truth. You see something and, and it hits you in a more profound way than it's ever hit you. And you, you get this sense that, wow, God is speaking to me. There's this danger that we just, well, go on with life as usual. That we don't respond. We don't respond with faith. And yes, Lord, I hear you. I, I understand you're speaking to. Maybe we don't understand it completely, but we say, okay, I, I'm going to figure out what this means. I'm going to keep listening I'm going to walk in obedience. I'm going to respond to you as you would like. What we see here is this progression of true disciples who are struggling with understanding what went on, but because they have faith, a relationship of faith. You see, that's the thing. It's never just... Oh, I have faith. Because a lot of people say that. A lot of people say they have faith. It's what's holding on to the other end of your faith. It's a faith relationship with Jesus Christ that matters. Because anything less than that is just something that you think. But these disciples had a relationship with Jesus Christ. He was in relationship with them. He had come to them. And because of that faith relationship, even when they couldn't put two and two together, even when they were struggling, faltering, floundering, he still came to them. Let's, let's look at this story together. And the first title I'm going to give you is what we have evidence that Christ is living from yesterday's events. And what we see in this story is that from the moment Mary sees the stone rolled away, runs to tell the other disciples, then Peter and John, they want to see for themselves. They come running. 
they start analyzing the facts. It says in verses 6 and 7, Then Simon Peter came, following him. He went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus. Sorry, on Jesus' head. Not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. There they are, doing what people have been doing for 2,000 years, examining the evidence. And we've even had books written by experts, investigative journalists, people who have tried to plunge in and understand what was going on and see if the testimony that's given in the scripture is true, if the way things are laid out are the ways that things would have happened if this were true. They've studied it like a cold case. And what they found is that it makes sense. The way the witnesses even describe what had gone on. It's typical of what would happen in an event like this. And actually one of the, the books most recently written in the last, I say recently, in the last couple of decades, but is famously written by a man who did not know the Lord before he started studying this and came to Christ because of his study, because of his talk with experts and his look at the expert witnesses in the scripture. We think of that. The facts are there. The facts are there, but as people look at the facts, they look at the truth. Everyone gets to have their own opinion, don't they? There are theists, there are atheists, there are agnostics. Mm, Technical titles for people who, well, theists say, this is true, I believe in God. Atheists say, it's not true. And agnostics, they say, doesn't matter. Those are the positions that people can come out with. But you know, We have people who worship God. We have people who are at war with God. We have people who say, whatever, doesn't matter. But none of those positions matter. None of those positions make any difference apart from faith. Apart from this faith relationship with Jesus Christ. It says in Hebrews 11 verse 6. Without faith it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who seek him. See that's the faith relationship. It's not that we have everything all figured out. But we believe in God. We believe what he says and we believe that we need to live for him. We need to be respond we need to respond in this faith relationship. The skeptic has no faith even when the evidence is presented. Even when the evidence is convincing. Even when the evidence is true. But you know The worshiper without faith is simply singing religious songs. And I would say that faith is both more 
and less than we often think that it is. It's more in the sense that it's not simply believing. It's not simply saying, oh yeah, that, that's true. That must be true. Ephesians 2.8, we know what it says. Faith is a gift from God. It's a transformation in our hearts whereby that truth changes us. We have a new direction in life. We're not just saying, oh, I just stumble through this life like everybody else. I struggle with my own sin, the temptations around me, and I try to be a good person. No, it's God giving us a new north in our life. The magnet of our soul is drawn toward living for him, obeying him. Heart, soul, mind and strength. And a lot of times the greatest testimony of that transformation, that truth in yours and my life is just our dissatisfaction when we're not following him as we ought. When we're not obeying the way we should. we become dissatisfied. So we realize that faith is more than simply an assent to truth. It's more than just saying, oh yeah, I believe it. As Hebrew 11.1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. Faith is more than just believe, it's a conviction. But faith is not, is not saying that we've arrived. Verse 6, which we read, it says at the very end that he rewards those. We're in this relationship. Verse 6 in Hebrews 11, that he rewards those who are seeking him. And Paul tells us, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he says, we know in part. We know in part. We see things, we see truth as just a dim reflection. But because it's a faith relationship, because Jesus Christ is involved, we know it's enough to act on. He's done that work in our heart. We see the truth in truth. We see it's applicable. And we see the disciples here who arrived at the tomb breathless. They did not have concrete truth for Christ's resurrection. I mean, there were evidences. They just removed the body. Would they have left the grave clothes? Would there be a cloth that was over his face, face folded up neatly? And it says that John, verse 8, I love this. John, the other disciple, never names himself in his gospel. He calls himself, here, the other disciple. Sometimes he call, calls himself the disciple that Jesus loved. This is the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in. Peter charged in. That's Peter. 
John went in after. It says he saw and he believed. They doubted when the women told them what happened. I mean, how possible is that, that somebody rises from the dead? They saw him killed. It wasn't just like one of those resurrections where Jesus raised a sick person back to life who had died. Jesus had been mutilated, been beaten. He was hung on the cross. They'd seen his lifeblood drain out of him. They saw John was there with Mary and saw the spear enter his side. The blood, it says the blood and the water flowed out and well, the, the medical experts say that's what happens. That's what happens. Water pools and there's fluids and, and they saw it happen. I mean, how could somebody resurrect, rise after that had happened? But John, just seeing the evidence of the stone rolled away, having heard what the ladies say, seeing the, the, the grave clothes folded up, he believed because of faith. Because of faith, knowledge of the facts plus knowing Jesus equal belief for him. Not enough evidence? Well, let's move to the second part. We have evidence that Christ is living in today's testimony. What do, mean, what do we mean by today's testimony? Well, in John's gospel, we see that Christ makes himself known. He doesn't leave his, his faithful followers, his weak-kneed followers with their questioning faith. He doesn't leave them just to flounder. He comes to them. <laughs> Mary recognizes him. Mary sees him first. She doesn't recognize him at first. She thinks he's the gardener. Would Christ have had a chuckle at that? There are worse things he could have been thought to, to have been than a gardener. But Mary thought he was the gardener and then he spoke her name. And because of the relationship of faith, she knew who it was. And then there's Thomas. He refused to be comforted by too good to be true accounts of others. And we could ask ourselves, what did his doubting mean? You know, there's doubting because you're struggling with disillusionment. But then there's doubting that's simply an act of disobedience. The facts are there. The truth are there. But I'm going to refuse to accept them. I had an interesting situation yesterday. I did not do this to prepare for this morning but I feel like it ended up being a preparation. For two hours yesterday afternoon, I talked with a man who lived his whole life in this community, in the church. Had brothers who went into the ministry and he's an expert doubter. I could tell him truth. In fact, the only reason 
I, I've concluded that he wanted to talk to me. He asked for me to talk to me to him. It was because he gets a kick. He feels empowered by refusing truth. And even when we talked about creation and evolution, he, he's standing on the strength of, of things that scientists don't even believe anymore. And he would say, well, we know this is true. And I would show in some very simple ways how we know that that is not true anymore. How you can even read in, in National Geographic that how they say, you know what? The things that Darwin believed, we don't believe those anymore as evolutionists. But what Darwin gave us this is what they say. What Darwin gave us was this understanding that there is a way to scientifically prove evolution and we're looking for it. We're still trying to bring it together. They say things like every year we have to change. We have to change what we believed about evolution. But every year we know we're one step closer to finding out how this all came together. And, and you just realize, without faith, people are lost. Without faith, the only satisfaction a person has is they're their own person. They make their own decisions. Nobody tells them what to believe. And that's true. God doesn't do that, does he? But he offers us truth. He offers us evidence. He offers us facts. He offers us himself. That's what he did here. And for 2,000 years, that evidence has been floating around and people can do with it what they want because God is love. He forces no man, no man to love him. And so we see him coming. We see him coming to his, his followers and showing himself to them. We've seen that today. We've seen evidence of God coming to people today, even in the testimonies that we heard. And Afway going through a dark and desperate time in her life, immersed, as she said, in things she shouldn't have been. And at the end, it seems Satan had control. And then Christ came. We hear of Don, a little kid running around in Iwanas. I can imagine. <laughs> Hearing the gospel as a little kid and with childlike faith, that's the simplicity of it, isn't it? When Christ gets a hold of somebody, when it's not simply uh, belief, but it's faith. 
A faith that depends on Christ's hold on you. It doesn't matter that you have no support system. It doesn't matter that you wander through this life. Christ continues to pursue. He holds on. And then you hear truth again and you recognize its reality. And he draws you in. It's a beautiful testimony. A beautiful testimony, not simply the the picture, the baptism, but what Christ has done through their lives been thinking a lot of that hymn he lives he lives Christ Jesus lives that that last line he lives within my heart that's how we know the great victory with the gentleman yesterday as I told him I said you've made yourself the authority here the authority over God. His great victory was saying, yeah, but how do you believe in him? You use your head, don't you? I have to admit, my head, my heart, my soul, who I am, even with all the truth that there is, even with the fact that I was exposed to the gospel from the time I was a little child, without what God has done in my heart, without his work there, without a knowledge of him because of of his grace in my life, I wouldn't believe. And I can't give that grace to other people. I can share truth with them. But I must pray that God does a work of grace in their lives. And we must remember, though, we can be an encouragement to other people. Do we have the testimony of obedience in our lives? Whether it be these disciples here in this story who go, I believe. Do you see the evidence there? Do you see the evidence in other people's lives? We we sometimes look around and go, what are you doing, God? It doesn't seem like you're working. Here we have evidence But what about your own life? Do you see that evidence of Christ coming to you, of interacting with him in situations through your life? Evidence of obedience where you you respond and you, you, you hear his call in simple ways, day to day, moment to moment. Are we involved sharing about those evidences with one another as the body of Christ, this local body of Christ, this local church, this church family. I was reminded of another verse in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. It says, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another as you see the day approaching. Not growing faint, not growing weak. Not giving up. But sharing evidence with one another as we continue to walk with 
the Lord. Yeah, the Lord did this work in my life. He, he was stirring. He was talking to me. He was teaching me even through this event yesterday. Do we share those sort of experiences with one another? Do we say, this is how the Lord's working. This is how he's worked. Do we stir one another up? Do we stir the faith of one another up through our walk of obedience? Finally, we have evidence that Christ is living through serving him through all of life's tomorrows. Once again, in this biblical account, we have evidence, evidence in the lives of others. We could go on and read even the rest of the Gospel of John. But throughout the Bible, the scriptures following this point, following the resurrection, we see what God did through people's lives. We see what he did in his church in the world. Verse 30 and 31 of John chapter 20 say, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. By believing, by having faith, we might have faith. We might partake in that faith. It feels like to me that John is writing this gospel and for these two verses, he turns and he looks at us. The readers. He says there were a lot more things that Jesus did. What I'm saying is there are even a lot more things that the Lord does through his followers here. That are evidence to us. Evidence of the life of Christ. We can read on. And we see through the history. The history that we know about the apostles. That each one of them except for John. Were killed. They were killed for their faith. They were killed for preaching the gospel. Different ways in different places. They went in different directions. But that same faith in Christ, their belief, their understanding, their knowledge of him, they, they saw him rise from the dead. You'd think that one of them, one of them would have given up. One of them would say, no, don't kill me. I don't believe the gospel. But they saw the resurrected Lord, didn't they? They met with him. They spoke with him. They knew the truth. And the Lord changed their hearts. You see... As we consider the next scenes, I, I said to you, you know, they went home, they went to Galilee, they went fishing. They were struggling. There was disillusionment. They were wondering what it mean, meant even after 
even after Christ met with them in the locked room. He came to them in their fear, walked through the door, appeared to Thomas, said, Thomas, touch my hands. Look at the wound in my side. They went fishing, and Jesus appears on the shore. Calls out to them. The fishermen have their second great catch of fish, and we could say, oh, things are Perfectly brought together, bookends. Remember how they caught all those fish when Jesus first called them? Here's the other end. Jesus tells, put your net down on the other side. Another great catch of fish. How beautiful is that? But I don't think those were bookends. I think the first great catch was the beginning of them being disciples for Christ. And I think the second great catch of fish was another beginning. Them being his apostles. His sent ones. With the full knowledge of his resurrection. And a complete faith in the gospel. And a filling we can only imagine by the Spirit, they went out and they preached. They did miracles. They carried on the ministry, the ministry that he had begun in this world. It's interesting. Jesus said to them, it would be better if he went away. And even after seeing him after the resurrection, they, they struggled in John 16, he had already said to them, he said, you will do greater works than these. No, that was 14. John 14, he said, you will do greater work, works than these if I go away. And he said, it would be to your advantage in 16 if I go away. No longer a single man that they are to follow but God's spirit that would indwell them and go with them. The same spirit that is shared with us. And here on that shore, after Jesus calls them to shore, he makes them breakfast or has breakfast cooking for them. He has a conversation with Peter that is really representative of what he would say, what he says to us, as his followers. He says, feed my sheep, follow me. Don't worry about others. He challenged Peter. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you really love me? Feed my sheep. Share my truth. Walk with me in this life. Peter was sort of looking around going, what about the rest of these guys? And that's what we do too. How am I supposed to serve you, Lord? I mean, he doesn't do this or she doesn't do that. So why would I do that? And the Lord says, I'm walking with you. Don't worry about whether somebody else is doing what I'm calling you to do. 
They may not be called to do that. Or maybe they're just being disobedient. What is that to you? That's what he says to Peter, the exact word. What is that to you? What's going on in their lives? (laughs) And we think that's silly for Peter. He's sitting there talking with Jesus and comparing himself with others. Jesus, what is that to you? You follow me. You serve me. Do what I did. Lay down your life for me. How are you doing this morning? Do you see the evidence of the empty tomb? Do you need to go in there again? Do you need to look at the empty grave clothes and pour over the evidence? Be a CSI sort of person? Investigator? Do you have faith? What about the coming of Jesus to you? The entrance into your locked room? Just like he went through the locked door with the disciples. Do you have an area in your life where you're saying, I don't want to give, I'm afraid to give that up. What I would lose. Christ will come to you to that area of your life that you don't want to give up. And they'll say, look at my hands, look at my feet. Do you believe? Do you have faith? I'm not talking about just saying, oh yeah, must be true. But a faith relationship. The Lord will even entertain you on your shore Mm -hmm. when you wander back to your normal life he'll come he'll be hospitable he'll talk with you he'll love you as he did with these disciples comes to where we are in this life, this regular life that we've lived. And he'll challenge us again. He's probably challenging us, each one of us in different ways right now. Saying, believe. Believe in me. Obey me. Serve me. Father, help us. Help us to be moved by our faith relationship with you. Help us to be awakened by the evidence that we have seen in the past, that we see in the present, and that we will see as we serve you faithfully in the future. Continue to work with us, Lord. We know that you will. You promise that. But help us, Lord. Help us to submit to you and to be greater testimonies of the life that you have given through your resurrection to the world. Help us to be testimonies as we walk with you and as we talk with you. 
and as we testify of your grace, your gospel, your goodness, your love. Amen.